the double standard around Pete Davidson, tragedy unfolds at Travis Scott's Astroworld Festival, and an Australian photographer takes a stand against elite toxic private schools. We're Jasmine and Maggie, and you're listening to Culture Club, our weekly chat about pop culture, current affairs, the internet, and our lives. We acknowledge that the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people are the traditional custodians of this land we are on today. We would like to pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. We'd also like to celebrate their rich history of culture and storytelling that we can learn from. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome back, Maggie. It feels so nice to be sitting here. How are you going? Oh, this is so formal. (laughs) (laughs) No, it feels very formal and like... I'm nervous. It's been a few weeks now. I know. But so much has been happening in the two weeks that we took off. You, Miss Jasmine, have started a new job. Can you please tell us all about it? Yes, I started a new job as a content writer at Pedestrian Group, which is very exciting. It will happen very fast. Um, So that means I get to write across brands like their publications, like obviously Pedestrian and then Refinery and then the other publications like Gizmodo, Lifehacker and Kotaku. They're like more tech and gaming um, publications. But that means that technically we're colleagues now, which is so crazy. Like so funny. Not even, I know, not even technically. We are fully fledged co-workers, not just Culture Club co-workers, but now full-time work wives, which is very cute. Yes, we slack each other most days. Get to ask (laughs) you questions, being the new girl. I'm like, what is this? Um, But everyone's so lovely there and, like, it's such an exciting place to work, I think. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm excited to see what happens. Yes, no, um, it's so exciting. I can't believe we get to work together. Um, bloody hell, we do not get enough of each other, do we? <laughs> On top of this podcast, now we spend every waking moment together. But yeah, so keen to be in office together, actually get to see each other, have lunch breaks together, little coffee runs. Oh, Very cute. Dream. Very cute. So yeah, thanks everyone for your patience while I took some time off just to adjust to full-time work because I've been freelancing throughout the whole pandemic and it's very different like setting Mm. your own hours and knowing you have work to do but versus like learning a whole different you know system you know it's not just learning how to write to the brand it's like publishing and finding photos oh my god I downloaded photoshop (laughs) I'm a graphic designer I'm like so so basic at all that stuff so yeah it's been like a lot and then obviously lockdowns ended in the same week so that was like a lot to take in so I think it was good for our brains to have a little bit of a break from the pod um but yeah now it feels like a whole new chapter between a new job and lockdown ending in Melbourne. I know. We timed the break surprisingly well, might I say. It was nice to have a little potty break while we get to kind of wander back into the world, go out to a lot of restaurants in my case, try out some new things. Oh my God, as a side note, I tried this. I was about to send you a photo. I tried the Too Faced lip injector injection lip plumper thing. Have you heard of this? No. Yeah, it's called Lip Injection Extreme. Everyone talks about it. It's like natural fillers, basically. I put it on and after two minutes, I was like screaming. It was so painful. I like wiped it off and then the end product, like it, yeah, but like 
burning. Um, and then it literally looked like I had fillers. Like they were like kind of like bright red and like, yeah, swollen. And I was like, oh my God, that's literally what it's supposed to do. But that's terrifying. And I'm like, how can that be good for you? So if anyone wants a once used <laughs> lip injection lip gloss, it smells nice and you know, whatever. I just can't stand the pain. I'm so sorry. What a tangent. We have very sensitive skin, I feel. Like yeah. Quite sensitive to that stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I can't do spice. So I think it's yeah. related to that. Yeah, I love those things where you, they feel a bit tingly in your lips. I like a little bit. I have like a Bite Beauty one and not sponsored, but they use natural things. They use cinnamon, I think. So it's mm. like much more gentle. This is like Chemical. knives. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, what was the correlation? Like, did you wear that out to a restaurant or? Yeah, well, yeah. I tried it yesterday. I was like, let me look cute. And then I was like, oh my God. I took photos of like before and after. Um, which I probably won't share, <laughs> but they're there. Um, but yeah, it hasn't it been nice going back into the world? We saw each other a couple of times as well, which has just been so lovely. Yeah, it has been nice to do things at our own pace as well, I feel. Like I don't really feel the pressure to like be everywhere. Mm. Um, it's been nice to be a bit selective with where we're going. And yeah, my main thing has just been loving seeing friends. I'm like, I don't care what we do, where we go if we're out or at someone's house, like just seeing friends in real life is just like so much fun. I'm like, oh my yeah. God, I miss it. <laughs> I miss fun. Yeah, I know, right? And I think for all the listeners out there, wherever you are in the world, wherever your lockdown journey is, if you've been out of lockdown for ages and you still feel a little bit uncomfortable or uneasy with it all, I think that is so normal. Like you said, Jazz, we are all like on our own timeline. And I was so nervous when I heard that lockdown was ending. I cried like in a in a way because I was scared. Mm. Um, and it's nice to hold on to some things that we learned in lockdown. Like I still cherish my alone time and, and, and whatnot. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, finding the new balance. New balance shoes. <laughs> Sponsored. Sponsored back. Well, that's my whole job now. Maybe that's why. <laughs> but I work in um, advertorial, basically, if you didn't know. Not that you didn't know. If listeners didn't know. <laughs> if listeners didn't know. Yeah. So writing content for brands and, like, trying to, you know, get in that little organic, like the new balancing. Anyway. Anyway, shall we do some pop culture stuff now? That's what they're here for. Yes, stop blabbering on about my job. So our first topic of the day, do you want to take it away, Max? Okay, yes, I'm so keen to talk about this. I'm tripping over my words. That's how excited I am. Pete Davidson and Kim Kardashian were caught holding hands in like the funniest possible way like I love the photo that we as the internet received it's one of the most unflattering ways you could be captured and that is of course um being captured midway on a roller coaster ride you know that have their eyes shut mouths open it's great yeah it's definitely gotten people talking I thought the pictures were very cute and the internet has mostly been making jokes of and talking about Pete Davidson's playboy prowess. So, you know, his dating history is very, how do you say this? Um, he has prolific. Yeah. <laughs> he has an extended, extensive dating history. He was only just spotted with Phoebe Danabar, the main character in Bridgerton this year. And now he's been spotted with one of the most famous women in the world. So, what were your initial thoughts? Do you think that this is legit or do you think it's a PR stunt? Because, you know, going from Kanye, who is quite 
manic and he's obviously mentally unwell um, and controversial compared to Pete Davidson, who's kind of the boy next door in a way. He's goofy. He's funny. Mm. Um, you think you think that, like he'd get along with your mum. Um, mm. Is this a PR stunt that Chris has kind of put together of like the goofy white guy? When I first saw the pic, I was like, what is this pairing? But not in a romantic sense. I was like, what are these two doing hanging out together? I was like, that felt quite weird because in my mind, they kind of exist on different universes mm. in a way, different celebrity universes. I wouldn't think that their celebrity paths would cross that much. But of course, they did film SNL skits together a few weeks ago. Um, you might have seen like the video of uh, Pete playing Aladdin and Kim is Princess Jasmine. Um, but when I first saw that, I was like, okay, this is weird. But then my mind just instantly were like, oh, they're probably friends because mm. you can hold hands with friends on a roller coaster, right? Exactly. I think, yeah. I think like that that's acceptable. What did you think? I was the same. I thought, I was like, oh, everyone's taking this so far. Like they must just mm. be friends. Also, side note, it was really nice to hear Pete Davidson say my name in the sketch. <laughs> <laughs> naughty what did you do with that sound no, by Jessica? <laughs> but just like i don't know anyway his name, <laughs> no, name. we 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 all had moments like that like whenever like a one direction member would say maggie yeah. for whatever reason or if the name's in a movie you're like yeah yes. you're like oh <laughs> that's me i tell you something so embarrassing yeah okay so year eight in the depth of my One Direction obsession, a new guy um, came to our school. He was from England and he was good friends with my other friend. And then for my birthday, she got him. Like we walked over to him and she was literally like, can you say happy birthday, Maggie, to Maggie for her birthday? And he was like, like happy birthday, Maggie. And I was like, <laughs> no, no word of a lie like that happened. Conrad, thank you That's for that. So <laughs> well, yeah, Pete said it in his like New York accent um so that was nice but yeah after the sketch and the roller coaster moment um according to in style magazine they hung out for a third time i think pete took kim out for dinner on staten Mm. island he is the king of staten island of course that in the film so i think it's very sweet and i think but i don't know i don't know how legit it is yeah i don't know if they're dating because also now that i'm thinking about it I mean, if you're just starting to date someone, three times in one week is quite a lot. No, that could be, that could lend itself to a PR stunt. Like they have been seen or heard being seen together. But also, like, Kim lives in Calabasas, California, right? So maybe they were just seeing mm. each other because she was in New York. So they had to see each other quickly before she went home. Mm. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, whatever the truth is, I'm just glad that we've gotten so many good memes and tweets about it. We did post a pretty good one, if I may (laughs) say so myself, um, on Instagram. It reads, I really want to move to New York, but I don't want to fuck Pete Davidson. What do I do? (laughs) And another favourite of mine was, if Princess Diana were alive today, she would be dating Pete Davidson. So while all these jokes are really funny, I do find it so interesting to see the narrative that the media is painting around his attractiveness and asking why all these famous women keep dating him. And it's like, he's funny and he's probably a really nice guy. That's probably why people are dating him. And I do think he is physically attractive too. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But did you see this 
incredible TikTok that was making the rounds that, you know, in the green screen, it had Machine Gun Kelly, Travis Barker and Pete Davidson. And um, the TikToker was like, they are the equivalent of the manic pixie dream girl. We'll insert the audio now. Okay, this brand of white man is to women what manic pixie dream girl is to men. No, I will not be elaborating. Yeah, so if you don't know, the um, stereotype of a manic pixie dream girl is a whimsical, quirky, sometimes eccentric fantasy woman. You see them a lot in films like 500 Days of Summer. Anything Zoe Deschanel. (laughs) Any, yeah. Zoe Deschanel, yeah, and Kate Winslet in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. So, yeah, very noughties um, trope, I guess. But, yeah, I really like It's kind of refreshing, I think, to see men grouped together in stereotypical genre ways that women have been, you know, divided up into for literally centuries of, like, you know, the Madonna whore complexes and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, I find it funny to see men be you know in the same way and like date these really powerful women and be kind of like a bit of an accessory Mm. and like yeah I I think it's quite funny but do you think there's a male double standard in the way that we're talking about Pete Davidson completely like we mentioned before Pete has dated um a sling of very famous, very attractive women, um, adding to the list that you had before. Also Ariana Grande, Kate Beckinsale, Margaret Qualley and Kaya Gerber. Um, and yeah, so I think slut shaming, even though we say that we are like so much more progressive and sex positive as a society, um, I think it's still definitely there, especially directed at celebrities too. Of course, Taylor Swift is a celebrity who's probably copped it the most that I can think of. Yeah, of course, that's been something she's had to battle with her whole career. In an interview with Zane Lowe in 2019, Taylor said, when I was 23, people just kind of reducing me to like, kind of making slideshows of my dating life and putting people in there that I'd sat next to at a party once. Yeah, so she's referring to the Ellen show there. It was so uncomfortable. Like she was a guest there and and she was very uncomfortable and she made it clear like she kept like throwing up photos of Taylor Swift and just random male celebrities and Taylor Swift was looked visibly distraught. She's like, I don't want to do this anymore. She's like, no, stop it. And you know, Ellen's just poking fun at her like Ugh. The coward she always is, but so sorry. Do you want to continue the quote? Yeah, poor Taylor. So she continues, it's a way to take a woman who's doing her job and succeeding at her job and making things, and in a way it's figuring out how to completely minimise that skill by taking something that everyone in their darkest, darkest moment loves to do, which is just a slut shame. Mm. Yeah, and back in 2016 in her Vogue 73 questions interview, she says that she would tell her 19-year-old self, um, and I quote, you'll be a lightning rod for slut shaming. Yeah, so I think while the tone of Pete Davidson and Kim Kardashian isn't purely the typical backslapping good on you locker room talk that we've seen in the past, there's no denying that him and Taylor Swift are being treated totally different. I feel like he's being kind of heralded as a sex symbol mm. because of this. And everyone's like, oh, big, remember big dick energy yes. when he was dating Ariana Grande. And now it's like he's potentially dating the most famous woman in the world. What a guy. What a great guy. He must have such a good personality. Whereas with Taylor, it was like, 
what is she doing wrong yeah. to be cycling through or like she must be bad at these relationships if she's in a new relationship every year which isn't that crazy mm. for a young person as well like <laughs> you know um so yeah I definitely am trying to keep an eye on the way that I am like participating in that um kind of the, the conversation around it because mm. it's weird it's such a weird double standard yeah, it's interesting that, you know, the worst that Pete is copying is just, just people don't really understand how he's, I guess, um, catching all these great women. People almost just don't believe that he's too, he's yeah. like almost too good to be true or something like that. It's a bit ludicrous. Um, and that mm. might hurt a bit. He's like, oh, like I'm still a pretty sound guy or whatever, but it's not yeah. attacking his character and trying to poke holes at why he has commitment issues or like, you know, he's X, Y, Z. Exactly. In big news over the weekend, eight people were tragically killed and hundreds injured at rapper Travis Scott's Astroworld Festival in Houston, Texas on Friday night US time. According to reports, the crowd surged during Travis's evening set, causing panic and chaos as people were crushed and pulled under the crowd. The two-day event, which also included performances from Drake and SZA, among others, was sold out with 50,000 in attendance. Footage from earlier in the day, however, shows crowds storming the entrance and rushing the gates. Freelance photographer Amy Harris described an aggressive crowd atmosphere throughout the day as waves of fans broke through stage barricades into prohibited areas. However, as Travis took to the stage, apparently everyone tried to move closer to see him and caused a crush. Another first-hand report was from a high school student called Nick Johnson and they said, everyone was just passing out around you and everyone was trying to help each other, but you just couldn't move. You couldn't do anything. You can't even pick your arms up. It just got worse and worse. They also said that fans started to crush each other and that people started screaming. Sounds like actually hell on earth like some of the accounts are just so traumatic sadly all of the deaths were under the age of 30 with the youngest being 14 years old and a 10 year old is in critical condition in hospital as well as a crowd crush though there are other reports that someone was spiking people with drugs through a needle mm-hmm. which is so terrifying there's been a wave of that in the uk mm-hmm. i don't know if you've yeah. heard any of those reports yeah in nightclubs over in the uk but um apparently one security officer at the festival felt a prick in his neck as he was trying to grab someone and then fell unconscious only to be revived with an opioid antidote the um chief police officer said Mm. so it's kind of like a melting pot of like just chaos like a few things happened but a lot of the deaths were due to cardiac arrests Mm. so um apparently they'll be looking at the autopsies to see if it was like which one it was basically Yeah, and we are now recording this about 24 hours after the event has happened and we woke up to this news. Um, It was so terrifying just seeing these news headlines and and tweets and I don't know about you, but I started watching some of these videos and felt physically ill and I I just couldn't continue. They're really, like, they're really traumatizing and I think it shows, Mm. like, a terrible side of humanity, the way that people are so mm-hmm. careless over people. Oh, it's 
it's so gross there's also like only so much you can do when you're in that Mm. situation when you're in a crowd of 50,000 people you actually have no control over your body so like even if people were trying to pull others Mm. up it's like almost impossible to move um so yeah I think well we'll go into that later but um back to Travis Scott he has obviously been heavily criticized for not doing more to prevent this tragedy from continuing there is video footage because this was being live streamed for Apple Music actually. Wow. So yeah, it was live footage happening. Um, he saw an ambulance being driven through the crowd and he stops on stage for maybe like 10-ish seconds. He's like, whoa, what's going on? Um, kind of stops performing and then just suddenly starts again. He's like, okay. And then, you know, calls on his backup dancers or whatever. And he stopped a few more times to help someone who had passed out at the front. But uh, there's reports that people were kind of yelling at him, chanting stop the show, but it would be quite hard mm. to hear, I think, when you're on stage you've got um, like mics in your ears. But I don't know why management weren't in his ears to say him to stop and why he couldn't see the crush. But, um, yeah, ultimately at the end of the day he didn't stop things enough, obviously. Yeah, a post by concert goer Sienna Faith goes into harrowing detail about the situation, describing it as a Jenga tower topple, as more and more people were just being sucked into the crowd. Um, and after fighting her way out of a pile of people, Sienna climbed onto a cameraman's stand and she was screaming at him to stop, um, saying that people were dying and that they needed help. And another man, Aiden Cruz, also attempted to get the cameraman's attention, but they were shooed away before security said they would throw them off the platform if they didn't get down. Um, and yeah, surprisingly, people actually began to boo at them too. You can read the whole post on Sienna's Instagram account, at Sienna Faith. It's also going viral at the moment, so you might see it around. Um, but it is very full-on and very graphic. So Travis Scott tweets after the event and says, I'm absolutely devastated by what took place last night. My prayers go out to the families and all those impacted by what happened at Astro World Festival. Houston Police Department has my total support as they continue to look into the tragic loss of life. I'm committed to working together with the Houston community to heal and support the families in need. Thank you to the Houston PD, Fire Department and Energy Park for their immediate response and support. Love you all. He also made a video on his Instagram today, a few hours ago, expressing his shock again and sending prayers to the families of the people who were killed. Um, He said he'll help the families, which is like the bare minimum. Mm. Um, and then his fans quote, mean the world to me and he wants to leave them with a positive experience. His girlfriend Kylie and baby Stormy were actually at this event and so is Kendall. They were in the, obviously the VIP section and Kylie is also currently being criticised for taking video footage of the crowd. You see her zooming across, like panning across the crowd and the ambulance is actually in shot. She deleted it later in the day. So full on but there's actually a bit of context to this as well because you could say that this was an awful freak tragedy but it's actually not the first time this type of behavior has been seen at a Travis Scott concert yeah in 2015 Travis was arrested at Lollapalooza for urging fans to rush the stage and jump barricades etc and in 2017 he was arrested and charged for inciting a riot at another concert 
But even in the promo material for this festival, he really kind of was focused on kind of the the rioting and um, like the madness around it. There's video footage of like people just like running and kind of jumping over the barricades, et cetera, again. Um, And that was kind of the vibe that they were selling. Yeah. And that's also the kind of theme of fuck security, fuck safety. We're just going to rage was a huge theme in his Netflix documentary, Look, Mom, I Can Fly. You see footage of unconscious people being crowd surfed to the front. And he actually did stop the concert for these people at this particular one. But the theme of Astro World is actually to rage, as in to go mental, get loose, etc. So you go there knowing that there's not going to be a laid back concert. And, you know, you see all the fans running to the front and breaking the barricades and stuff. So Travis Scott has sold this idea of like chaos Mm. and energy and it just feels like this was an eventuality, not an accident because it's like you also, if when you get people who've been locked in the houses for a year, young kids who have like barely been out, you know, if they turned 18 or whatever, or even younger, they were minors there. They want to go like mental. Um, so it felt like he has been condoning this kind of behavior. Yeah, it was almost like this was what he was selling in a way. In Obviously, mm-hmm. he didn't want people to die. That would be barbaric. But, um, yeah, watching the trailer footage for this festival, it looks like footage that was taken from the day. Like that is what he intended to sell. And I also think on a smaller scale, this is just a narrative that's like across many festivals. You know, I've only gone to one day festivals yet. They can be so scary. And, you know, that's why we have death pits. They're literally called death pits where people Mm. literally go in slamming their bodies into people, trying to knock each other over. It can be really scary. So I don't think this is an isolated incident at all. But the thing is with those concerts, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, death uh, metal concerts and EDM raves and stuff. And these people are like, we're going to festivals with 100,000 people. No one's fucking dying at those concerts Mm. because there's some level of like almost respect, I think. Like from what I've heard is that the fans, Travis Scott's fans, was like chaos and like they didn't have any kind of regard for other people is from what I've heard yeah I just do think like in festival settings like people have that kind of get loose mentality where they just like morals are kind of out the window and like people are running on adrenaline and I think that kind of supersedes just (laughs) rational like rationality I'm less Mm. even talking about Travis Scott but just in general and I think that's Mm. scary like why are we so fixated on violence and people using these events as outlets for whatever repressed totally. emotion they're keeping, yeah, like hundred mm. percent, yeah. But um, a tweet by user at Craze Duffy says, "Quote: Travis is deleting his tweets that have anything to do with raging, going against the security and moshing. So if you don't think Travis had any fault in it, I promise him and his lawyers do." So that begs the question of like with all that context that we have now, who do you think is at fault here? Who should be held accountable for the deaths? Um, Were they cutting corners on security to make more money, even though he's worth like $50 million? Um, I just don't understand why as someone with so much budget, you're like the baby daddy of one of like a billionaire. Why wouldn't you make sure that your crazy ragers have proper security? 
But apparently, like, the medics, sorry, apparently the medics, like, didn't even know how to do CPR. There was, like, like one security guard for every, like, X amount of space. Like, there was just not enough staff there at all. There was one ambulance, one stretcher. That's so messed up. And, yeah, it's a good question. Like, who should be held accountable? Like, what do we do from this situation? Which I think after hearing about how Travis Scott, I guess, eggs on and encourages his audience to participate in like in this way I think he does have a lot of responsibility on his shoulders and it's like especially when half his um like rhetoric is like yeah like like fuck the security yeah it makes sense like he's not gonna have that many or they're gonna lose control Mm -hmm. I just I don't know yeah I think it is down to management the rhetoric that Travis Scott has been kind of pushing and selling for so many years of raging um, but one thing I noticed when I was deep in the TikToks was some young, it seemed to be a lot of young kids saying this stuff of like, people die at concerts all the time. No, they don't. <laughs> no. What the hell? Um, if to put it into context, I saw another good tweet that was comparing Woodstock 99 to Astro World. So Woodstock 99 was a, it was meant to be like the, revival of Woodstock from the 60s but it turned into like a fire festival on steroids because like yeah like barbaric stuff not enough water so a tweet from a user named Shago says to put this Astro World tragedy into context in 1999 220,000 people attended Woodstock which later became known as the most calamitous festival of all time after three people died mm. 50,000 people attended Astroworld and the current death toll is at eight. So I just, it just got me thinking, especially with these young kids, I'm assuming they're American on TikTok, is have because of COVID, how we become desensitized to death and like mm. to numbers. When you see eight people died, after hearing days and days and days of 3,000 people died today, when you hear the number eight, of course your brain is like, oh, that's not many people. Obviously not comparing COVID to a concert, but it's just like that. De- it feels like we're becoming more desensitized to people dying. Like eight people is a huge amount. You don't go to a festival or a concert expecting not to walk out. Mm. Like that's crazy. Yeah, I think especially when we factor in how young these people were and that these deaths were preventable and that they came to this event for enjoyment and they and they didn't get to leave like that is heartbreaking mm. and I think in terms of like the death toll in the U.S. and how it is just incredibly high I think people for mm. sure like disenfranchise with death numbers I think to be honest um in Australia especially in Victoria I think they do I think they talk about the death toll each day really respectfully and they they spend time to pay their respects to um the people who have died and I feel like that's a much better way to put things in perspective like these people should have space carved out for them they're not just like a throwaway number that's in a tweet one day yeah Yeah. exactly yeah so it was just so interesting to see the comments of like it's just eight why are you blaming Travis I'm like oh my god like yeah but to close out this tragic segment I really like this tweet by Triple J presenter Bridget Husswaite who reshared Travis's apology that I read earlier and said you forgot this I am sorry that this happened at my festival 
Houston PD has my total support as they investigate the crowd control failures. I acknowledge my negligence up until this point and I'm committed to changing so the safety of my fans and festival crew is prioritized. Mm. That is how you apologize, not just like, oh, I'm so shocked by what happened. I'll help the police. Like, it doesn't seem like he's, it seems like I said earlier, he's more nervous about his career and like what this means for him than the fact that eight people died when they were going to see him completely and he's been arrested and charged before and i think this might happen again so we'll keep our eyes and ears out to see what happens here we just hope this tragedy makes some actual changes for future festivals Before this next segment, we would like to put a content warning for sexual assault, homophobia and rape. Photographer James J. Robinson broke into his old private school last week and captured a series that embodied the hurt, trauma and pain that was and still is being inflicted by elite schools. In case you haven't seen the viral photo set, um, the first slide on Instagram is this haunting photo shot against the purple sky and green grass of a school oval. Um, And right in the middle of the shot is a St. Kevin's pinstripe blazer, which is half engulfed in flames. The next photo along is James making out with another man. He's wearing the same blazer in the first shot and it's shot with a bright flash, almost like a you can't ignore us um, message Mm. tied to it. James, who graduated back in 2013, told Vice that he'd been planning the act for a while and the catalyst actually came when another former St. Kevin student and AFL Collingwood player, Jordan Degoe, was arrested in New York for allegedly sexually assaulting a woman on a dance floor. Charges of forcible touching have since been dropped by New York prosecutors, but the footballer still has four charges of harassment and assault laid out against him. James's caption read, St. Kevin's is a bubble where privileged young men can rehearse oppression without consequence before graduating with flying colours into public, a place where locker room talk exists openly in hallways and classrooms. I saw a system designed to let young boys think they can do anything, assault anyone and get away with it. These photos are dedicated to current students and victims of St. Kevin's and schools like it who feel like their identity is slowly being chipped away by a hyper-masculine culture. He continues, I see you. I was you. This protest takes my healing full circle. I burn my blazer, not in anger, but in hope for regeneration. I kiss my partner, not in spite, but to bring love back to the only place that ever taught me shame. We'll link the Instagram post in our show notes and we encourage you to read the full caption there. After the virality of this post, St. Kevin's first female principal, Deborah M. Barker, sent a letter to students and parents and said that she had immediately taken steps to reach out to James so that she could listen to him and fully understand his journey. But this is not the first time, nor will it be the last time, that private school boys' toxic behaviours have been called into question. I feel like, especially in Australia, Mm. it just determines so much of our society, like, 80% 80% this is not fact-checked but you know a decent amount of um, our politicians come from these private schools where they just like James said exist in a bubble and then they get put into the real world at 18 having not interacted with opposite gender or hardly 
thinking, you know, that the world owes them something and that's how you get this toxic masculinity and usually white toxic masculinity as well. Yeah, and you're right. Like these schoolboys end up our politicians and very influential people in the business spheres making our decisions and like literally controlling Mm. our society and it is so terrifying. And I think so many people have their own stories. We saw Chanel Contos speak out against consent and sex education in Australia. And even after James's Instagram post, a lot of people um, who were, I guess, a part of this elite school um, environment or have been hurt by it before have actually taken out to social media to speak about their own experience and the hurt that they have um, experienced as well. And I think this is just going to continue. We see a new thing in the news every few months about these St. Kevin or whatever school boys. And this this blazer burning is just the latest installment of this. I, I don't know what change will really come. I'm so glad that we're having these conversations and that, mm. I mean, I don't know, St. Kevin's has its first female principal, but, you know, the – it, it's just it goes deeper than that it's like systemic and it's just it's been going on for so mm-hmm. long 100 percent. yeah i like james's follow-up slides um on his instagram story saying that like this won't go away unless we totally rehaul the school system which just won't happen for many many years i assume but i also like the fact that he kind of recognized that he is a as a cisgendered um man that he knows he needs to speak up against um, like sexual assault and things that women have to feel they have to speak up against our whole lives. It is refreshing to hear a man speaking out against, against toxic masculinity and um, yeah, rape culture and all of those horrible things. We could probably do like five recommendations each, but we'll keep it to our traditional one um, as we haven't done this for so many weeks. But what has been your standout recommendation over our little break? Oof, definitely this book that I devoured. It is called Love and Virtue, and that is by Diana Reed. It's really fitting to talk about this right after the James Robinson photo set on Instagram as well, because this book also tackles some of the issues that we just previously discussed. So feminism, power, consent, and sex are strewn out before the lives of young Australian uni students on a Sydney college campus. You might have seen this book, by the way. It's got like the most gorgeous front cover. It's like dark green and pink with a university crest like on the front of it. It's gorgeous. Um, It's also the debut novel by Diana. She only graduated from university last year. Um, And just to add to like her accomplishment she actually deferred a job as a lawyer to do this and she actually gave herself a year to chase her interest in theater but ended up writing this um because of COVID um and I feel like her her experience I guess in theater as a university student and potentially in law as well and she studied um philosophy which is a massive like theme that runs throughout this book um just I guess enriches this book so much. Like she's just got so much lived experience. And I guess sometimes when you read older people's experiences of like being a teenager or whatever, sometimes it doesn't translate the best, but Mm. this is just so raw and real. I feel like even though it is fiction. Um, So yeah, 
I definitely would give this a content warning though. As we just mentioned, it kind of does deal with consent and assault. But it is about two girls who are incredibly smart and competitive. Um, and it was so interesting because these characters were so flawed as characters are, but I actually felt so uncomfortable uncomfortably seen in some of their flaws. And I was just like, oh my God, <laughs> I can see myself in some of these characters. Um, but overall, <laughs> Diana is whip smart and makes so many good observations um her writing has been compared to a lot um with sally rooney but i do think she just exists as a standout author by herself she's also working on her second book so very excited about that um and yeah to kind of finish off this recommendation i just want to also mention that yeah she does pose a lot of philosophical questions and in an interview with the sydney morning herald she says she wants her readers to be less confident in their opinions at the end of her book than when they started and i think that's what she really achieved um yeah love this book and i can't wait to reread it later on wow what a glowing review um i feel like every millennial gen z female novelists compared to Sally Rooney and it's so infuriating because it's like women have to be compared to other anyway sorry (laughs) no that sounds so good um when we do another book swap can I please read I just gave it to my older sister but afterwards for sure (laughs) for sure I have so many books to read still um thank you for your books that you've lent me as well I'm chugging away at them I'm loving them but anyway that's a story for another time um (laughs) and now you what are you going to be recommending for us I am recommending a movie that I actually saw in the theater in the cinema this um week what a treat I went to Cinema Nova in Carlton Melbourne and I watched Eiffel which is a French movie directed by Martin Bourboulon and the film is focused on Gustave Eiffel, who just has just designed the Statue of Liberty for New York. Um, the 1889 World Fair is coming up, which is back in the day, like before globalization, they kind of would say like, well, how are we presenting ourselves to the world Cute. and, you know, make something. I think it only ended like in the 80s or something. Anyway, um, so the 1889 one is coming up and Gustave wants to design a subway system in Paris, um, but instead he is reconnected with a mysterious woman from his past and she inspires him to build the Eiffel Tower. I think it's based on a true-ish story, like probably romanticised a lot more, but it is very, very beautiful very steamy it reminded me a little bit of the notebook in that whole kind of unrequited love of like the rich girl and you know her parents don't want her to marry like a working class person whatever but yeah and I just love I love Paris and all the aesthetics are so beautiful and love a good period drama but it actually stars our girl Emma Mackey who is Maeve in Sex Education she is um French so she obviously is why she's kind of has two feet in in either pond which is interesting and um her love interest Gustave Eiffel is played by Romaine Duras um so yes it's a beautiful love story with so many twists and turns the chemistry is off the charts and I posted about it on my story and I have this friend who lives in Paris (gasps) and she was like I can't I feel like I can't watch this now knowing that he left 
his wife for Emma <gasps> when they were filming. But I couldn't find any reports, so this is just gossip. Where the new- I couldn't find any news or anything about where the new TMZ. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I don't know if it makes a difference that she's in Paris. I'm <laughs> like, does she have the inside scoop on the streets? Um, but, yeah, she was saying that it's uncomfortable because their age difference is like 20 years. Mm. But Emma's an adult. Emma's 25 or something. So, anyway, despite the rumour, I think it's – a beautifully written film, very emotional. And I love, as I said before, I love a good period drama. So would recommend that for sure. That sounds so you, but I am, that sounds so good. <laughs> I really want to watch that now. I haven't seen too much about it, but love Emma so much. So that sounds perfect. <laughs> it's a bit like sugary sweet, you know yeah. what I mean? Like a really good romance story. Exactly. That's what you need. Yeah. Yeah. You need that every now exactly. and then. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, thanks for an action-packed episode back. Of course. It's been nice to sit in front of the mic again. Um, and I hope our listeners might have enjoyed it now that we're back in your ears. If you did, maybe a little cheeky five-star review. Oh, not five-star. You don't have to give us five-star. Just an honest <laughs> review on Apple Podcasts would be lovely. Only give us five stars. <laughs> Um, but no it's been lovely being back in your ears and we will chat with you next week bye bye bye